Hello, and welcome to the One Trust Talks Tech Podcast. This is episode number one, recorded on May 8th, 2023. My name is Roger Dean, and I work in the product team here at One Trust, and will be acting as the host of this podcast. Just a quick word about the format of the One Trust Talks Tech Podcast. Each episode will have a guest where we discuss product items, regulations, or industry events. The guest will typically be someone at One Trust, but maybe a customer, a partner, or an industry expert. After the guest, I'll go over specific features in the product, either from a recent release or something else that is important and relevant at the time. This week, my guest is Eric Cunningham, who is a product manager working on the consent and preferences team. After Eric and I chat about some API changes, I will review what features were released in our last update, which occurred at the end of April. Just a quick reminder that this podcast reflects OneTrust's current expectations for product capabilities. However, dates and individual features may change, and any information provided in this podcast around future product features and functionality should not be relied upon when making purchase decisions. Now that the legal stuff is out of the way, let's get down to the fun content. All right, so now moving on to our guest. This is the first guest on the first episode of this podcast, and that is Mr. Eric Cunningham, who is a group product manager on the privacy team focused on the consent and preferences platform. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Great. Thank you, Roger. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Glad to talk about uh, consent and preferences. Awesome. So I know that we've got some changes coming with the consent receipts API, but for maybe for those who aren't familiar with what this is and, and why we'd be doing this, maybe just give a little bit of background on, you know, what's the use case and, and talk about these APIs and, and what people use them for. Sure. So one of the things that we hear loud and clear from our customers on, on a regular basis is that, you know, we are kind of the center point for a lot of their, you know, direct user interactions. So, for instance, you know, one of the things that we heard over and over again from our customers on the, on the consent side was really around how can I use these APIs to drive my workflows, to, you know, facilitate user workflows as people are completing purchases. Um, you know, we had a number of customers that were building these APIs directly into their uh, point of checkout. So as customers were going and completing, uh, completing transactions, they were actually calling to get consent or having users uh, ask how they want to be communicated with in the future. If they want to be, you know, communicated with about future products or future enhancements or, you know, any of the products or services they might be buying. So that makes that really makes consent and preference kind of a driving piece, not only for the current sale today, but also the sale kind of going forward and having that regular interaction with the customer and starting to build that relationship. But more and more, that's what we see is that our customers want to build more useful uh, and you know relevant relationships with their own customers. And part of that is being able to collect those consent and preferences and make those regular communications more interesting, uh, more direct, more uh, you know, more personalized. Right. And so that way customers are coming back and they're happy about these interactions they're having because, you know, they might only be getting communicated with about, you know, a specific product they're interested in versus, you know, just getting spam. Yeah, exactly. Nobody wants to spam. I know that's the quickest way for me to, is to unsubscribe from something is when I start just getting daily email messages asking me to buy something. Right. Um, you know, that that's something no one wants. Right, exactly. Well, and maybe for people who aren't familiar with how we do that, let's say I went to a retailer and I made a choice about a preference. I only want to get emails about um, computers and I only want emails and notifications around Windows computers, not Macs or something like that. 
and maybe I'm doing this on you know a big retailer's website, but that that information is not stored at the retailer, right? Those choices are actually stored at OneTrust. Exactly. So uh, you know those retailers are you know partnering with OneTrust for the most part, and they're you know storing that information on the OneTrust systems, and they're utilizing the OneTrust APIs to be able to call up that information in real time. Got it. Uh, so when I go back and I and it looks me up, it says, "Oh, Roger." is interested in Windows, he doesn't want to hear about Macs or whatever. And that then when they do that, they're calling our APIs to say, you know, what are what are Roger's preferences that he's made in the past or choices he's made in the past. Exactly. It's looking to see, you know, customers are doing a couple of different things with that. One, they're looking to see has Roger consented at all? If so, what has Roger consented to? Right. And then checking those subsequent pieces. Got it. So just for reference, how many of these types of API calls are we getting a day across the board? Um, uh, you know, across the platform, quite a lot. Uh, you know, we receive hundreds of millions of, of API calls a day across our, you know, consent and preferences platform. Um, so that means that, you know, we have to be able to operate at scale the same way customers do, you know, and we have to continue to be able to support them as their traffic kind of ebbs and flows. And everyone knows that, you know, maybe during uh, the holiday season or something like that, their traffic spikes way up. Right. And then might come back down at the end, you know, beginning of the year when, when you know, we're kind of out of that holiday uh, sales spike. Interesting. So that's something that, that we see across the board. So we have to think about that much in the same way, uh, you know, maybe an AWS or, uh, you know, an Azure might have to deal with where you have that additional traffic. We have to think about that, too. Uh, and one of the ways that, that we do that is through through our API and being able to scale to that traffic to meet, make sure that we meet those customer demands. Because, you know, like I said, during those, those high holiday seasons, you know, our, our typical customer, they might see a 50 percent uh, spike or, you know, or more in their mm. their overall traffic. And that's going to be, a, you know, a further demand on the, on the OneTrust service as well. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Absolutely. So let's talk specifically about the these um, consent receipt APIs. And I know the big topic right now is that we're going to be deprecating the V1 Consent Receipts API, which has been around for a while and is being used by lots of our customers, and we're replacing it with um, with a newer version. Um, uh, so t- tell me a little bit about why we're doing this and, and kind of what's involved with this deprecation. Sure. So, you know, one of the reasons that we're doing this is exactly what I talked about. You know, one of the things that we heard loud and clear from customers is that, you know, we need to be able to support them during their highest peak traffic, and we need to be able to do that in near real time. Uh, the current API functions well, but that being said, it, you know, you can always do things better. And that's one of the reasons that we've decided to go down a new path of versioning out the API, moving uh, and shifting to a V3 API. So toward the end of the year, we will be deprecating uh, our V1 data subjects. And basically, you know, behind the scenes, we're going to be using, utilizing a new technology to be able to store that data and be able to recall it um, just to make the whole process faster. But a couple of things go along with that. One, the other thing that we've heard from customers is that you can't go down ever. Right. Yeah. You know, customers need they need to be able to support those workflows constantly, and they need to be able to get that consent information, you know, at the point of sale and in real time. Um, so that was something that we heard loud and clear. So that's you know one of the big benefits of this new API is that even during our maintenance cycles, it doesn't go down. And customers can still be able to get that consent information right when they need it. 
Yeah, you don't think about you don't think about not going down ever. I mean, we have to do updates to our software on a regular basis, but but we can't tell a customer or retailer to say, "Oh, stop doing business for an hour," because we have to upgrade our system. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty difficult to tell a big retailer, you know, hey, just just put your uh, you know your your sales uh, on your website on hold for the next couple hours while we do our our monthly upgrade. It's right. It's a little tough to say that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so the new API is is immune to that. It's basically up twenty four seven through sixty five, regardless of of uh, any updates or any other any other things like that, right? Yeah, that's correct. So we're utilizing some new authentication technologies there, and so that will allow customers to continue to be able to access that data. So even when our systems are are on maintenance and we're you know, performing our regular updates, um, that that API is going to continue to remain available. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Um, so what should people who are using the V1 Data Subjects API know right now, and, and what should they start doing? So right now, um, they should start going out. Uh, they, can, they can check out the, uh, the V3 right now on our developer portal. Uh, so it's out there. It's available. Customers can begin using it right now. Uh, we have plenty of customers that are already using it in production workflows. It's out there as a preview currently, uh, but we can definitely get that enabled for, for any customer that wants to use it. Uh, definitely get in touch with your uh, with your TAM, and you know we we can facilitate that. Um, so that uh, that will allow customers to start you know testing it and start migrating it. Uh, I think customers will see a lot of benefits to it. There's uh, some technical and functional changes that we've made in in terms of the authentication and the way customers can get data, uh, especially for those customers trying to get large volumes of data. Um, you know, where before the API was limited to just 100 records per call. Mm. So they had to page through a lot of uh, a lot of records uh, where now you know, you'll be able to use a continuation token. So you could pass that token right in the header. And every time you make a call, you can pull back 2000 records. So it just makes the, the gathering of that data much, much faster. The latency is much, much less. Um, and just allows customers to be able to get that data. Uh, you know, much, much faster. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's not like uh, just simply changing the the URL that they're calling from V1 to V3. There's actually some changes that, that in the actual way the API functions so that it would be, don't, I guess what I'm trying to say is don't put this off to the last minute because there are some things that you need to do and you need to play with it and understand it. Uh, and don't just wait until, you know, the day before the deprecation occurs to try and think you're just going to switch it right over. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it, there is some functional changes there. So the response that the customer is actually going to get back in the API is 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 altered. Is different. Um, so it, yeah, it's not just pointing to you know V3 versus V1 in the URL and you'll be able to get the same data. Um, that that isn't going to happen. Uh, we've actually put together a, a guide for users uh, out that's also out on our dev portal. Um, and that way, customers can refer back to it on on what's available, what exactly what has changed in that response. Uh, and be able to understand that as well. Perfect, perfect. Uh, and then I guess the the last question is: We're looking to do this when end of the year, I think. Uh, yeah. So it's right now it's scheduled. Uh, the sunset date is uh, the, December thirty first. That being said, that the V one API will technically continue to work. Uh, it will point to a new data source in the background, but you will not be able to utilize all of the new features functionality and get the same level of service that you might expect with uh, with the V3, such as, you know, it not going down with maintenance right. and getting the, the higher volumes of, of re, uh, results and things like that uh, back. Um, you're not going to continue to get those things. 
Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. And I guess if someone has any questions, they should just reach out to their customer success manager or their one trust representative and, and then we'll, uh, we'll do everything we can to help them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that is the best path to be able to, to, you know, get in, get in touch and answer any questions that you might have. Um, you know, as we mentioned on here, this is, you know, it's pretty big change. It's, this API has been out there for a while. We know lots of customers are utilizing it in their in their daily workflows. But I think overall customers are going to be really, really happy about just having a new level of performance and being able to get more records more quickly um, and being able to drive those real-time workflows. Super, super. Thanks. Any last thoughts you'd like to pass on before we wrap it up? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Like we said, uh, you know, if you, if you have any questions at all, definitely reach out to your customer success manager and we'll be sure and, and kind of fill those things in. Um, and we can definitely share out the, the details of, of the API in, in the debt portal. Super. Thank you so much, Eric. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Roger. Appreciate it. All right. Okay. Next, we're going to cover what was in the last release, 2023.04.1.0, which was pushed to production environments on April 21st, 2023. Before we start, just a quick word on how this content will be presented. Everything will be broken down by product, and in each product, I will cover new or GA features. Each release also contains preview features, which I am not going to cover, but you can read about in the release notes. Preview features require someone at OneTrust to turn them on, so if you're interested in trying out these preview features, please contact your OneTrust representative. Let's jump into the features, starting with consent and preference management. The first feature in Consent and Preference Management is automatically add geolocation for OneTrust hosted and embedded web form collection points. This feature will automatically populate a data subject's geolocation using the Enable Geolocation Tracking for this collection point setting on the Settings tab of the OneTrust hosted web form collection points and OneTrust embedded web form collection points. The second feature is phone number validation. Values entered for phone number data element types are now validated when interacting with OneTrust hosted web form collection points. This enhancement requires a valid phone number to be entered in order for a data subject to change their preferences. The last new feature is a parameter for interaction date validation is now visible in the, in the application. The enable data element date validation parameter is now visible in the example payload on the integrations tab for custom API type collection points. As of OneTrust 2023.03.2.0, this parameter will be used with the post v1 consent receipts API to allow interaction date validation for data element updates. When the parameter value is set to true, data elements will retain the value of the receipt with the latest interaction date. When the parameter value is set to false or not included, data element values will get overridden with the value of the most recent receipt, regardless of the associated interaction date. Now let's look at the data mapping automation product. New feature in this product is personal data grid. You can now link personal data to inventory records using the new personal data grid. This feature enhances personal data linking by enabling you to visualize data subject types and data elements in a grid format when linking them to an inventory record. Moving on to incident management, there are a couple new features. The first one is incident detail inheritance. Here you can configure a relationship between an incident question and inventory or data element questions to automatically populate data elements and inventories on newly created incident. With this enhancement, all data elements and inventories added to an assessment will update on the related tab of the incident record. The second new feature is personal data grid. 
Here you can link personal data to inventory records using the new personal data grid. This feature enhances personal data linking by enabling you to visualize data subject types and data elements in grid format when linking them to an inventory record. Looking at third-party risk management, there are several new features. The first feature, related data elements on engagements. You can now manage related data elements at the engagement level using the new personal data tab on the engagement overview screen. This feature allows users to easily view and edit the personal data elements linked to an engagement. Second feature is assessment score template update. You can create risks within vendor assessments using the assessment score profile as a condition on the template detail screen. This feature allows users to configure template rules that create risks in templates managed within the third-party risk management module. Next, you can reorder attribute options. With this feature, you can reorder engagement attribute options using the new reorder options button on the attribute details screen. With this enhancement, users can configure the order in which the attribute options appear in the engagement details and assessments. Next new feature is new automation rule conditions. You can configure engagement and inventory automation rules using the new assessment score profile by template condition. This enhancement allows users to configure automation rules to trigger actions based on score profiles. Looking at our settings and administration, there's one new feature there, remember last organization. Select whether to remember users last accessed organization using the new remember last logged in organization setting within global settings. This feature allows users to automatically land within that organization rather than their default organization. In our mobile and CTV OTT consent product, we have a couple new features. Um, there's a new Roku resurface the banner for new categories. This will display your banner to all users when new categories are introduced. This enhancement ensures that users can interact with the banner to configure consent for newly added categories. For third-party due diligence, we've added a, a new feature, Dow Jones Monitoring in Bulk. You can now trigger screening and or monitoring through Dow Jones in bulk use using the Create Third Parties and Update Third Parties import templates. With this enhancement, users can utilize the new Enable Dow Jones Screening and Enable Dow Jones Monitoring columns in the import template. And finally, the last, new, uh, last product that has some new features is Data Catalog. So we've got new, uh, a new feature in Seeded Data Policies. Utilize seeded data policies to conduct common use cases. These out-of-the-box options include automation rules with recommend, recommended conditions and actions so data governance users can uh, return results, automate decisions, and take action concerning security violations and public access risks. The last new feature is the um, ROT classification tags. You can now scan data assets with a new redundant, obsolete, and triv or trivial or ROT classification tag to identify irrelevant data. This tag type promotes data minimization practices so data is only collected for specific purposes and retained as long as only necessary. That's going to do it for this episode. I'm excited for this podcast. Episode one is complete and in, in the can. Uh, look forward to more podcasts coming every week. If you have any feedback on the podcast or if you would like to suggest a topic that we cover or, or want someone for me to interview, please feel free to email me. The email is podcast at onetrust.com. Again, that's podcast at onetrust.com. Send me an email. Let me know what you think. Uh, give me suggestions, uh, more content that we can add or persons that you would like to hear from, from the company, from Kabir down to, you know, anybody else in the company. I'll do my best to get them on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and look forward to episode two.